I'm not going to say who's going to win. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven and happy primary election day if you're listening live. I'm Paul Bass inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Our guest in the first segment today, we have two segments, has been making New Haven tick for a long time. Uh, her name is State Rep. Pat Dillon. She was an alder who gave me my early education in politics in New Haven back in the early 80s, late 70s. She became a state representative in 1984. She won her first election for state representative. And she has ever since been representing the 92nd District, running for re-election. It covers West River, Westville, Edgewood, Dwight, and Beverly Hills, Amity. Pat Dillon, welcome back to Dateline New Haven, and thank you for making time on Primary Day. Welcome to you. It's great to see you. So you're not someone who has a primary today. You're going to be running the general election. Yeah, surprisingly, but... You will have a Republican opponent, right? You usually have somebody? Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Are they on the ballot? I may have an opponent um, who's a petitioning i'm i don't know i think yeah. the deadline is tomorrow okay well but I, we're prepared either way i got something much more important to ask you about yes okay are the mets going to lose any games the new york mets before the major league season i think they won 13 out of 15 harry oh man they're so good this what year. a season they're having i mean there's really no reason to complain about the mets which i guess is something new for you and me um i don't complain the about them i'm happy that there is a major league team in the town that I was born in, uh-huh. and I'm and I'm happy for them. Were well, you and born in Queens? I was born in there Flushing. Was a, there was a Bronx team as well called the Yankees. I was born in Flushing. My grandfather, who grew up near the Polo Grounds, was a Giants fan who I think worked for them. I'm not sure what Pop Dylan was. The, the Giants My left father New York. was a Yankees. The, so the, the, I'm the just Giants saying. Left New York. This is, a, this is a no, religion. 1962, the Mets came to the Polo Grounds. They were known as the worst team in baseball, comical. Then 1969, they had the miracle year when they came out of nowhere with all these colorful players and won the World Series, which I guess was very exciting for you and me, kind of a formative. And and um, Ryan Nolan. And Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan. Nolan Jones them. and Tom Seaver and everybody and Jerry Kuzman and Jerry Grody and Ed Charles. Right. Yeah, Art Shamsky, Jewish. There you go. <laughs> Ed Greenpool. Well, Sandy Koufax is the guy, but, right. you know, I mean, he was not blessing. Yeah. I know. Right. So, Pat, have you been following the Mets all these years? Are they your team? I am mortified to admit that after being in, immersed in baseball when I was growing up, it was really about my father and my grandfather. Um, I drifted away from me the too. game. I really became more of a basketball and of course, I went. So me too. This is a common gal. And in the sixties and early seventies, I was a diehard Met fan. I didn't follow sports until two years ago. And my wife, who's a lifelong Met fan, started subscribing on the internet. We've been watching the games again. Kind of got reacquainted. Are you? Are you reacquainted as well? Are you I watching am. this year? I reengage usually in the fall, but I used to be. I'm just saying it was really when I was, you know, little, like sitting in a car seat, you yeah. know, little. Uh, baseball was, you know, all about my father and my grandfather and yeah, and them arguing about and their Queens, favorite teams. right? Bronx was like another country. Right? Yeah, but my father was from the Bronx. Oh. And, uh, as so was Ben Scully, by the way. Uh, so, Pat, of course, um, and was 69 a big year for you the way it was for me? When it the was Mets insane. Went, Absolutely insane. So here's my question. Of course, this has to do with politics. When we follow sports, yes, people often project 
unrelated ideas of good or bad, right and wrong, or projecting their own ambitions. A lot of us who rooted for the Mets and not the Yankees, and I would also say the Jets and the Nets. Did we, Queen, I wasn't in Queens like you, did you kind of see yourselves as the underdogs in Queens and that your team represented underdogs against the kind of big corporate establishment Yankees? Is that the way you saw it? That's the way I saw it. It was hard not to. And Queens, they used to call Queens the bridge and tunnel set. You didn't get covered in kind the newspapers. Kind of looking forward on working class people, right? That's right. It's more ethnically diverse. You know, uh, it, it has the public hospitals, the fancy ones are in Manhattan. So it could be easy to have a chip on your shoulder. Not that I did. I mean, I had a great life. But what did the Mets life. represent for you in, in that sense? Because your dad was a Yankees fan. Why were you a Mets fan? Oh, uh, yeah, but that was never. I knew my father and my grandfather didn't agree, so it was all right. <laughs> um, uh, it, was a, it, it was like we made the big time. It was wonderful. You mean 69? Yeah. But, but what just did that, that mean, now, we made the big time? Did it feel like Queens made the big time? Well, I felt that way about Flushing, but, you know, when you're little, you know, I could have said. That's what I mean. I could have said it was my neighborhood. <laughs> but when they said you got to believe, remember that sign in 1969 with the I Mets? Do. Was it, did you think it's fair to say that people has felt like underdogs, you got to believe we could play in the big leagues? I mean, sort of more metaphorically. I know. I know. And it's, it is silly. I think the owner was uh, John Whitney Payson. Yeah. You know, who was no slouch. But in later, the but later it was George Steinbrenner at the Yankees, who was such a he was corporate so Republican to Nixon. Right. Yeah. So here's where I'm bringing this, Pat. Go ahead. This year, the Mets are on a tear. Yes. All the people, like you and I just got reacquainted. Other people never stopped. You kind of feel like, oh, we're back again. We're a great team. But they've changed places with the Yankees in terms of being owned by an avatar of modern finance, a hedge fund owner, Stephen Cohen, yeah. who was spending more money than anybody else on players. I mean, Lindor, you know, 330 or $40 million, right? And he just keeps piling up with the most expensive players in baseball. Mm. Does that still feel like the underdog? Does that still feel like a team you can project your own ideas of the little guy prevailing? Is it still, does it violate any sense we had about, you know, those silly notions people have about the game and the integrity of the game and how it should work? Does it feel unfair that a hedge fund owner comes in and just buys all the expensive people? Can you still feel as good when you root for the wins? So, so if your name is Cohen and you are a hedgy, that makes you dirtier than somebody named Whitney? But they're spending, Whose family is, but they never know. spent money the same way. In fact, and then don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, the Whitney's, she was the first woman owner of a and major plus, game. everyone plays, you know, the other people own baseball teams, as you are, are noting, are uber capitalists as well. They spent a lot of money. That's right. But, but he's, the, is it possible the reason, the reason the Mets won 69 was not because of spending the most money. It's because they had this kind of magic with these unknown, then become somewhat known players who gelled as a team led by Tom Seaver and were diverse and kind of had some underdog moxie. That's right. The team now is overdogs, expensive overdogs bought by a hedge fund owner. It's a different, it's a different team though. I mean, sports is different. It's about, it's about naming rights. It's about, it's about, about revenues that? from television. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, college sports is ruined that way. I mean, the whole thing so is, is corrosive. It, so how does that make you feel when you're rooting this year? I still root. You still root. So now you know what my question is going to be. Wait, about Trump voters? No, no. <laughs> it's going to be about politics change. Hedge fund money. Look what it's done to politics. Democrats just passed a big bill 
on climate change and it has some good financial provisions and they had to strip away a carried interest loophole that would have taxed hedge fund owners on their income the way that we're taxed rather than half of what we're taxed. True. It's, it, has the nature of politics changed in your 40 years in the legislature, 38, in a way that baseball has changed? Has capital changed it? Yeah. And no. Tell me no. about that. It's more exposed. And I would say about the stuff that Cinema asked uh, to take out. Well, she did it twice, so she kind of became a pig at the table. And that's she got the more money than any other Democrat from the hedge fund industry. But separate from cinema. If I you mean, want the, the, a bill to pass sometimes, and you're not going to have somebody come in and say, yeah, especially when they're in the Senate, which is different from where I work. And they're in uh, Arizona. If they're in the Senate, everybody's a king, you know? Yeah. Anybody can tank it when you're 50-50. You put things in knowing that somebody's going to put their foot down and demand that it be taken out. And, and that's how you do the deal. And that's, that's not new, right? I've done it many times. I mean, I did the implementers for 14 years. So tell me about that. Give me examples of how what we're seeing with hedge fund influence in politics is not new. It's just a different group of players. Tell people what an implementer bill is. um, It's a a series of uh, budget-related bills and sometimes non-budget-related bills that that include the language uh, that that makes the new line items work, you know, that, and, and you know, also, the budget passes, then you bust an implementer, which is the fine print. And that's where people jockey for stuff that won't get debated about who's actually going to get some of the money. Well, like we'll throw in some for Cornell when I, Scott, if we, also when I get first money went the there, field. we did a separate bill on every new line item. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was Irving's policy. Stolberg, and yeah. you would, you would clear the calendar and people would be there you know, all the time. Um, they roll everything into one bill now. It goes more quickly. So I, I so guess. What does that mean? Before they approve a budget or after they approve the budget? It, it goes concurrently. So but, you pay us a budget like our budget's going to be 20 billion or whatever. And then there's a separate implementer bill that has the language of the budget. It's two separate votes. Yeah. Like, um, one of the things that we did in my subcommittee was a proposal to establish an office of gun violence prevention. We had three or four proposals, um, which were in conflict. That's where the fights come in. Everybody wants to do a good thing, and they don't agree on how to do it. So was there first a budget bill, I guess budget update bill? Because That was in the Health Subcommittee. I plugged it into something I did years ago, which you wrote about, the Office of Injury Prevention. I think you wrote, what do throw rugs have to do with guns? I think that's the story you did. That, That has been collecting data for 30 years. On, on gunshot wounds, you know, and on stabbings. And so we couldn't use it because Congress banned studying it. We have that language and statute that created the Office of Injury Prevention. When I negotiated with, and my subcommittee was great, and my subcommittee. And what subcommittee do you chair? Health. The health subcommittee? Yeah. Of, but of, I, of what committee? Appropriations. Okay, so there's appropriations subcommittee, the health subcommittee. Is that the full title? Health Subcommittee on Appropriations. And it's small. You and know, you're the chair. And in this year, you were trying to get past the creation of an Office of Gun Violence Prevention. That's right. It was one of many things we did in that subcommittee. And you were personally interested in this, and it had to get approved by your subcommittee. And I think you were telling us a story. I just want to walk it through for our listeners. You listen to Dateline New Haven, WNHH, 103.5 FM. Yes, sir. And we're with State Rep. Pat Dillon. 
you're talking about, because it started with baseball and how baseball's changed with the influence of hedge funds. That's and, right. and we said, has politics changed? And you said, not in the way it fundamentally works. And the example you gave was the way you had to compromise to get or maneuver to get through an implementer bill, the creation of an office of gun violence prevention, right? Yes and no. The original office was the office of injury prevention, mm-hmm. which I did 30 years ago. And in the way that I wouldn't call it maneuver, it didn't have guns in the title. Okay. If it had had guns in the title, it wouldn't have passed. Um, I had gone to for training to the CDC, and I wanted to do more than guns anyway. Mm-hmm. We did sexual assault. We've, we've collected data on that, and we get money from the federal government for that. This year, we had to figure out how to do something that the advocates clearly wanted to have the name guns in it. And we had a proposal from the governor that, that was meant well, but it really didn't do it. It kind of contradicted the point of it. It didn't have, um, it allocated money, but it wasn't evidence-based. Mm-hmm. And then there were uh, some people on the public health committee that wanted to do it a different way, and that's partly, I guess, they didn't like the other people. That always happens. When you when you have a disagreement about tactics, you're all good people. You all want to do something good, and you disagree about tactics. When we created injury prevention, we had to put that in statute. There shall be an office of. So this year, when we did the, uh, when we put in the Office of Injury Prevention, a special office of gun violence prevention. So you're creating a new office that's a sub-office of injury that's prevention. Right. Which collects statistics on injuries so that you can get good, better policy. We already collected statistics. What the Office of Gun Violence Prevention is going to do once we staff it up, and I, I think we allocated $400,000 to do that, is to fund evidence-based interventions to prevent gun violence. And uh, that we need lead time on that because we have to hire people for that office. And they'll just distribute money for stuff like VIP, violence and survivors. And it's going to be separate from what we already do in other departments which I also worked on with other people. And how is it going to be separate? What's going to be different happening there by having the creation of this new office? I would say right now we're funding boots on the ground programs um, that are really important. But there was a very strong constituency this year for doing evidence-based, meaning, I mean, my original training, and this is going back some, you know, we would be, we would be looking maybe at, at simple things like uh, it's it's research. Some people don't like it. So but, you're going to be paying for research into gun violence. Yeah, but it's re, it's it's applied research. Right. Research you're, that will help guide how programs work. Yeah. I mean. So this won't go to the street outreach worker. This will go into a study of violence patterns among youth that can be used by street outreach workers. We'll see how they decide to do it. But I would say, you know, like one of the things we learned years ago was that a young person who is a witness to a homicide by gun is more likely to be either a victim or a perpetrator, either one. So how does your bill, how does your new office? And and you could you can figure out, okay, if we know who those people are, how can we work with them so that they don't become perpetrators? So that was victims? the idea in 1992 
of New right. Haven's um, Child Study Program, partnership with the police star, but Donald Cohen's and Nick Pastor. Absolutely How right. How is that different or same from that? It's it's not that substantially just different. Just the world is new. We have new things to look at, new tools, new realities that have to be looked at, updated. Um, that was, uh, I thought that was incredibly positive. And, and they really zoomed, they really focused, they intervened after the event. Right. And, and it was very impressive work. Um, this is going to be, as I may have made clear, I hope, um, I don't technically own this in the sense that we never do as legislators. There are many, you know, the Public Health Committee is interested in this. The governor's office is interested in this. The um, the people with the orange T-shirts that go around and say they're going to save us, you know, they're they're interested in this. And so I think whatever comes out in terms of strategy is going to be a consensus. Um, the governor's office has been very positive on this. So I want to bring you back a little bit, Pat Dillon. So you said the process of getting this office created mm-hmm. is why you think politics hasn't changed, and it gives an insight into how politics works, how you get something passed. Yeah. That even if the players are changing, if there's hedge fund money, even if there's social media, that as with baseball, there's still some truisms about how it works. And so tell me about how this worked that way. Explain that. Well, in the implementer, I had to change. The, we had to change the language. For the gun violence. From what to what? We had to add that to the original statute that created the Office of Injury Prevention. Mm-hmm. There was nothing nefarious about it, but that is a classic implementer. And what was the challenge of doing that? The challenge of doing that was uh, it had the word gun in it. The challenge of doing that was that there were a lot of people who are very zealous, who were excited about this issue, who believed that they should be the people who decide what happens. So what do you have to do? Well, I wouldn't say I did. But you, it's how the process worked. What I did was or what you, as a work group with did. a couple of people. Like, was there the, someone you had to say no to, someone you had to give something to as a group? I didn't give... I I communicated clearly with the members of the subcommittee that these were the alternatives and this is how I thought it could work. And they decided without a vote that that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. And um, then because I say me as the chair, that's unusual. Mm-hmm. We usually have two chairs, but my Senate chair was out ill, um, Mary Abrams. And and so it really was me, but that isn't really the way it usually is. Uh, so after that happened, I had to pitch it to Tony Walker and to Kathy Austin because they are the Senate, are they and House Chairs of Appropriations. Mm-hmm. So um, you did a lot with healthcare this term. You, yeah, you talked about children's health needs, expanded breast and cervical cancer screening. Yeah, that was setting aside twelve million dollars for tobacco prevention. That was our, in our subcommittee, absolutely. And Angie Downer says they're listening outside Morrow Sheridan Polling Station. Thanks, Andrea. And uh, Angie's niece is with WNBA in Spanish basketball and just did a big giveaway outside Transformers Barbershop for back-to-school haircuts and backpacks. That was a That's wonderful. So tell what do you want to highlight about uh, health care change? poverty we did. And that means we, that in public facilities they're going to get free tampons out, right? Yeah, and... and uh I guess there were some advocates working on it, but they didn't speak to me. Um, 
a, 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 a state rep from West Hartford asked me to do it and showed me the bill, and I signed on to it because the women in the 23rd Ward had actually been very interested in that a couple of years ago and got a grant from Yale to do it, and they told me that they thought that that was a real need um, in, our, in our community. And were, were you bulked up how many counselors were going to have social workers at schools, right, to help kids? Right. Learn. No, I wasn't in the room for that, but, yes, I was on board for it. And what are the expended breast and uh, cervical cancer screenings? It's, it's just extra. Uh, it, we're hoping that it emphasizes minority. There are two different pots involved in this budget. Mm-hmm. One is what they would call the ARPA money. That's well, the federal, COVID the federal Rescue relief. Act, which is one-time money. The other is state dollars. We have a spending cap, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a tough one because there are some investments here that are very big, but they're on ARPA money. Um, and I think that's important. And and But we were hoping to get some Fed money for some of that, and I hope we still can. Um there are some other investments just to kind of sneak in new policy, um, even though the money is very small. Like I did that with women veterans. I only added $125,000 mm-hmm. to a family support program and, and mental health. And the reason was uh, because of the suicide of a young woman from New Haven. Mm-hmm. I learned that um, this happened years ago, that our... A lot of what we've done, and I actually did it years ago with the, when we invaded Iraq, uh, which is create a program for family resilience. But a lot of what we were doing with with vets when they when they came home was was male centered. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the men were finding come back with substance abuse and mental health issues. The women are coming back having been raped. So that this whole program, which people didn't realize necessarily, and I don't mean the specific to Connecticut. I'm learning this nationally, that women are not benefiting from some of the programs we do on reentry. So you had $125,000 added this year for Family Resilience. Tiny. Tiny. That targeted toward women? It says for women veterans. For women veterans. What I wanted. What was that added to? To the family support program, which is in our managed service system. And okay. I can send you a link on that. Um, another thing we talked about, because we started the program talking about how the process worked, and there's negotiations you can deliver for people. Some specifics, you talked about the federal infrastructure bill. You were able as a legislator to get $1 million for forest road flooding, which is yeah. a road that is a tricky road. It's dangerous. And um, in it's any conditions. That's the beginning. And then $2 million to renovate a building on the boulevard for early childhood education. Yes. $150,000 for fellowship place. That's one tab money. Okay. Um, but they can use that. That's what I meant about the two pots. I mean, you would say on one, 125000 is very small, but I want it to be a match to try to get a pilot, pilot program money out of the federal government because I think they should be doing more for women who have served in the military. On the fellowship place can use it for signing bonuses because they're having trouble getting enough staff. Oh, okay. And so a lot of what we're doing, we want to look to the future, but our town uh, is really, we're a service economy. You know, some towns 
the golf courses were open and, and people were working at home remotely. And New Haven people, you know, they had their hours cut back. We had more illness. We had a lot of people with public-facing jobs who got sick. Uh, not that different from other states. I think California, if you were a cook in a kitchen, it was one of the most dangerous jobs. They had a high fatality rate. And so that was something, you know, I, I, I think we agreed that we wanted to make sure that we, that we supported all of those sectors of the economy and the particular institutions that, that really got damaged or really helped us during the pandemic. Well, Pat, before I let you go, and thanks for coming on today, Pat Dillon, you're running for a um, 20th term? I have no idea. Okay, 84 is your first. I want to do a PSA, though. Okay. Get vaccinated. All right. Um, New York has a polio case. The CDC flew into New York yesterday. It's highly contagious. So get polio vaccine. The children are not getting vaccinated. Um, and uh, I know there's, we have a person who's running for governor who's been flirting with those anti-vax people. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Okay, and finally, Pat, tell us why you're running for your election, what you hope to accomplish. Oh, I love this. I love the work. I love the work. And right now I am working on school lunches, and I think we should do a whole show on that. Okay, we will. And I'm going to have you back. But um, that the question, one question that's been raised a lot in elections this year is whether experience is a good or bad thing. Some people say you've been up there making laws that you're the problem. Other people say you should be up there learning how to do it because it takes time to learn how to get $2 million out of a pot of money for the boulevard or $1 million for federal infrastructure for the bill for the forest road. Is experience a good thing? Yes and no. You know, some people only see things through their own lens and they don't learn. And, and, uh, and they, so I, I really can't say. I mean, we had some great new legislators and we have some great veterans and it's a good mix. That's I mean, a great mix. that's a great answer. So, Pat Dillon, thanks for coming on. You will come back. We'll talk about school lunches next time. Yeah, I, I don't I know. I don't know how it's going to shake out now, okay. but but I really want to talk about that. And when we, we come should... back, folks, I'm going to ask people to hold tight. We come back. We're going to have Erica Bogan, a recently uh, retired from an instant career at the New Haven Fire Department. She's got a lot to tell us about firefighting then, now and next. So hold tight while we listen to the Afro-Semitic experience performing a wish you knew how to be feel to be free. Thanks to Harry Droz on the controls. And thanks to State Rep. Pat Dillon, Democrat from the 92nd District, for coming on Dateline New Haven. Hold tight, folks. We'll be back in five minutes.